0: When the pandemic first started jess and i started watching a lot more tv than we used to just tons of it Um, and part of that was you know just trying to figure out how do we live in this world and being exhausted by the end of the day and what do you do when you're exhausted you turn on your tv and you watch mindless shows and we found the ultimate mindless shows home renovation shows now there are some that uh, that look at homes and in North America and try to redevelop them for sale. We weren't we're not really interested in those. What we were looking at these crazy shows where people would buy mansions or build these incredible homes. So they'd build it. They'd buy a mansion or a castle and they'd renovate it. They'd spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to renovate these huge homes and then it's and then they'd uh, sometimes would live in it for a little bit, then sell it, and other times. They'd, uh, they'd live in it. Um, other times, it didn't, they didn't even complete the jobs. They got halfway through the home renovation and realized it was going to cost too much. But these mega renovations were so interesting. There were some that were literally castles that uh, couples or families would buy. Some were homes that were built inside of the face of a rock cliff, if you can imagine that. It's like halfway down the cliff, you, there's a house Just incredible, incredible homes. But all of these homes had two things in common. Uh, Number one, uh, almost all of them were houses for two people. Whether it was a castle, a mansion, or a small little home, it was always for two people. And the second is that they always had an absurd amount of floor space. At least most of the homes in these shows, they'd have... 10,000, 12,000, 20,000 square feet of space for two people. Two people would have a ballroom and a dining room and 20 bedrooms and 700 kitchens. Who knows? Just ridiculous. Just a ridiculous amount of space. And they had it, and they would say that they wanted this amount of space, not because they needed the space, but because they wanted to show it off. They wanted to show it off to the TV cameras. They wanted to show it off to eventual guests. Look at how great our home is. These mega houses were built to be show houses, not homes. Now, this is an extreme example of one of the sins that we are going to talk about today. We're going through a series over. uh, We have been going through the series for the past couple of weeks, and we'll extend for the next a few more going through the seven deadly sins, seven sins that uh, change our perspective about life in profoundly negative ways, and that lead us to death. They lead us to the disintegration of our lives and they lead us to hell. In past weeks, we've talked about pride and envy and sloth. Today, we're talking about greed. Now, for a lot of these deadly sins, we we might actually be quick to be able to point the sins out in our lives. We can We can pinpoint times in our life when we've been prideful. We can pinpoint times in our life where we've been envious or slothful. Other sins like lust and gluttony, we can pinpoint. Greed's the one, though, that we have a little bit of trouble figuring out. And part of that is because this is the sin that gets rewarded within our culture you're rewarded for being greedy you're rewarded for for wanting more greed is really what happens when sin distorts our perspectives of how we're looking at the world seeing the world understanding the world and it makes us think that the world around us is an end to itself rather than a means to the end of joy to put that another way Greed says that if you just gathered more and more and more, you will feel uh, happy and joyful and fulfilled. That it's actually in the accumulation of stuff that you find your fulfillment. It's, it's the end that life is all about. That the accumulation of more and more. Even if you don't need it. Even if you don't need 20,000 square feet in a home. You should still accumulate it because it's going to make you feel more fulfilled in our culture the accumulation of more and more and more is celebrated as success isn't it it's something that we're actually taught this is what you should do with your life you should just aim for the accumulation of of wealth of money of possessions to have bigger homes and better cars and more cars and on and on it goes but you know what, this sin should not be celebrated as a success because it's not success, it's a curse. Dante, in his book, in his poem, The Inferno, which I talked about last week, envisioned this deadly sin in hell as being chained to the ground, um, looking away from heaven and just sort of staring towards the earth. What Dante was trying to say is that greed changes your perspective away from looking towards the kingdom of God and and just looking towards the dirt of the earth that is going to pass away. At its base, greed is excessive desire for more. And it trades God for gold. It trades relationships for riches. And greed trades the the wide arms of grace's embrace for the deep pockets that wealth offers greed is idolatry it's replacing god in our life with other things and really with the accumulation of other things this is idolatry that has the potential to destroy the world to destroy Our lives and the lives of others because it gives rise to sloth in the face of injustice. So we can look at the world and find greed everywhere. We can look at the world and find greed everywhere. The accumulation of more and more and more. Because our world functions on greed. Wall Street functions on greed. The world's economy essentially functions on greed. And we might say, well, we're not quite sure about that. But, like, think about it this way just in terms of Canada, our national defense budget for our country is $24 billion. $24 billion. To ensure that every reserve in our country has clean drinking water when there is hundreds still reserves with boil water advisories that don't have clean water to ensure that all of them have clean water for a generation, it would cost six billion dollars. Twenty-four billion dollars a year versus two billion upfront and and it's estimated about four billion ongoing for a, for a couple of decades to ensure maintenance. But you know which one we choose? We choose the defense budget. Why? Well, because it gives us a feeling of security. It gives us a sense of security in a in a turbulent world. And what do we do every year with that defense budget? We add more and more to it, and it just accumulates and accumulates and accumulates. And oftentimes we don't really question it. We just say, well, it's got to be that way. And then we look at the, the this reserve, this ridiculous awful reserve system that we have in our country that has caused so much injustice and so much pain and even now still like they don't have clean drinking water we say, you know what, the defense budget should increase but well, $6 billion to for clean water oh, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> Just it's spinning wheels we can think of it on a global scale as well the global defense budget is $1.9 trillion dollars That's $1,900,000,000,000 per year, an astronomical amount of money to defend ourselves against each other during essentially peacetime. It is estimated by the World Economic Forum that you could cure world hunger with $11 billion a year. That is, if we took one half of 1% of the world's defense budgets and applied it to fixing world hunger we could do it today we have the means to be able to do it instead we build bubbles around ourselves because we're greedy and this is a greed that i don't think we really realize often because uh, because we tend to think about greed just in terms of money and wealth and that's not where where greed primarily functions in our lives. Instead, I think for many of us, greed isn't monetary. Greed is the excessive desire for more of a particular feeling. Whether, that's feeling the, the, whether that feeling is the feeling of being protected or secure, whether that's feeling more and more in control, where we just want more and more of that feeling. This is where I think the increase in national defense budgets comes from, because it gives us a sense a feeling of security so globally greed will convince us that hoarding resources for the sake of creating a bubble around ourselves to protect us from others in the world should be one of the top priorities of our existence and so you know the the uh, a budget or uh, the federal budget can be made up massively of of defense spending in Canada and other countries, famously in the United States. But locally, greed works as well. Greed can convince us, will try to convince us about our city in Hamilton, that our city should treat all, should treat itself as a, as a community of little towns that are all fighting for resources. And so, you know, our city is in a budgetary, uh, uh, in the process of, of developing its budget, If you pay attention to that in the news especially if you get the hamilton spectator just pay attention to the language that's used between different areas of the city and you'll find i'm sure that there the language that we use is this greedy language of pitting the downtown versus ancaster versus stony creek versus dundas versus westdale versus the mountain and everyone trying to get just a little bit more and then claiming that it's unfair when other people get things that they don't get to have. It's greed. It's saying, no, I want more. You don't deserve it. I want more. And it's a, and, and there's a bit of envy in there as well, actually, if you think about it. And then on a personal level, greed will try to convince us that the more we have, the better our lives are going to be oftentimes because we're going to feel like we have more security and control, we get that feeling. Here is what greed doesn't say. Greed doesn't tell you that that feeling will only ever get more intense. It will never go away. And it will leave you always wanting more. So you'll say, I want more. And you'll get more. And your immediate reaction is not going to be, I have enough. It's going to be, I want more because you don't get fulfillment from the accumulation of stuff. You don't get fulfillment from excessive desire. Uh, An excessive desire cannot cannot be filled. No amount of anything that we can accumulate will fill the hole that greed grows in our hearts. And so is it any wonder that the Bible speaks extremely strongly against greed? In Proverbs 28, verse 25, it says this, A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Ecclesiastes 5.10 He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Proverbs 11.24 One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want and perhaps one of the most misquoted pieces of scripture, 1 Timothy 6.10. For money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, I'm gonna catch me right there because if you sort of nod along and said, yeah, that sounds about right. That's not, what the te- that's not what the text says. I misquoted it intentionally. We think of this text in particular as saying, oh, money is the root of all evil. It's money. Here's what the text actually says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Scripture is very clear that it's the accumulation of wealth actually isn't necessarily evil. It's what you do with the wealth once you have it. It's what you do with the wealth. And if you say, I love wealth, and so I'll accumulate more and more, that's greed. And scripture rightly points out that is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, it says, are eager for money. They've wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is what greed does to us. It causes us actually to wander from the faith because we lose focus on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and bringing God's kingdom to bear in all the the relationships of our lives. And instead, what do we do? We say... No, I'm going to ignore my relationship with God. I'm going to ignore my relationship with other people. And I'm just going to focus on getting more for me. And then keeping it to myself. And so Mark 8, verse 36, Jesus asks this question of us. What does it profit someone to gain the whole world, but forfeit their soul? Is the entire world worth forfeiting our soul? Indeed, the in, in in the in the book of James Scripture very clearly tells us that if we want to accumulate wealth and keep it for ourselves, we stand condemned in front of God the Father. Let me read this passage. This is James chapter five, the first six verses of the chapter. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because the misery because of the misery that is coming on you your wealth has rotted and moss have eaten your clothes your gold and silver are corroded their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire you have hoarded wealth in the last days look the wages you failed to pay the workers have who mowed your fields are crying out against you your wages, your wealth cries out against you as a, as a witness in, in front of the Father. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the days of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. And then interestingly, James says, so be patient, brothers and sisters, be, until the Lord's coming, be patient. The world is filled with injustice because of it, because of greed, and, and, and uh, scripture constantly tells us, be patient, the Lord is coming, he sees the injustice, he knows, he cares, and justice is coming. Just be patient. So what can we think of, uh, well, how do we think about greed? And what's its antidote? This is really the point of this sermon series, is to ask, how can we receive, receive a vaccination against the virus of greed in our life? How can we protect ourselves from this deadly sin to stop it from taking away our life? Well, Jesus tells a, a, a parable about greed that I think will point us towards the antidote. This is a, a Luke chapter 12, verses 13 and and, uh, Jesus' explanation goes all the way to 34. So you can open up a Bible there. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. And this is what it says to start out. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you. What's going on there, first off? It seems that... What's happening here is that the person speaking to Jesus is likely a younger brother, with an older brother, and in the ancient Near East context, uh, for for the, for Jewish men and women, when uh, your mother or when your father died as the holder of the inheritance, the inheritance would go down to the children, but the the oldest male would receive a double inheritance. And so what is this brother asking? He's saying, hey, teacher, my brother got his double inheritance. I got my inheritance. You need to tell my brother to give me some of what he received. Now, he's asking, actually, Jesus to break Torah, to break God's law, which is a, which Jesus doesn't talk about, but he does rebuke this man. He says, who, who appointed me a judge, an arbiter between you? But then he goes on to say, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life is not about accumulating more and more and more. And to think that it does is a lie. It's a lie that our culture has bought into hook, line, and sinker. But Jesus says, you're not going to find life in that. You're going to find death. You're not going to find life in it. And so he tells a parable just to bring the point home. He tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Let's just pause right there. Notice two things. Number one, this uh, parable describes the man as rich from the get-go. This is a rich man, but it doesn't make a big deal of it. And the second is that the text does not see the accumulation of, of of wealth necessarily as evil. You know it's not money that's evil it's the love of money that is evil scripture says. And so we can we need to sort of read this with a, a little bit of a perspective shift in that regard because sometimes we can think of wealthy and the and 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 just being wealthy as as necessarily evil It's just not true. It's what do you do with your wealth which we'll see in the rest of this verse. So, you, you, so we start out being introduced to this certain rich man. He yields an abundant harvest. And he says to himself, what am I going to do? I have no place to store the crop. So he has a choice of what he's going to do. He has a choice. What am I going to do with all of this stuff that I have an abundance of? Well, he says two things. First, I will tear down my barn and build bigger one bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. So he says, I'm just going to keep it to myself. And then he thinks to himself, and then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That's the key verse, I think. That's the key verse, it says, he, he's saying to himself, you've worked hard, you've accumulated enough, you have all this stuff, so take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. It's all about you. That's the only person on this man's mind is you. And how can he, how can he um, sort of position himself in a place where he can accumulate all this grain and then he has enough grain where he's gonna spend his riches and he's going to enjoy life to his fullest as he sees fit. He does not ask, how can I bene- how can I utilize what I have for the benefit of others? He says, how can I utilize what I have now for my personal benefit? And he's doing this before he even builds the barns. He's just thinking about building the barns. And even in the process of thinking about accumulating more, he says, oh, if I accumulate more and more and more, I can actually just use it on myself. What a great idea. Well... He did not expect, I'm sure, the response that God gives him, which is in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This very night will be your life will be demanded for you. He doesn't he doesn't get the chance to build those barns to accumulate more. The Lord says, I am going to judge you tonight, today for what you are doing. It says, you're a fool. This is foolishness. We often think just like this rich uh, this rich man accumulating his grain. We think that life is all about getting enough and accumulating enough where we're going to be able to take life easy to and we'll be able to eat, drink, and be merry for the rest of our life. But God interrupts us and says, that is not how i designed you to live that is not how you live in my kingdom that's not how that's not that's not that's not how you're supposed to live it's just not you can do it but in the lord's eyes you're a fool and he says this is where it's going to lead you this is how it will be with whomever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards god God envisions that we're going to use the riches of grain that we are given to be able to bless others, to share it with others. Jesus goes on to make this clear in the verses following the parable. He says things like, don't store up your possessions, but give to the poor. Essentially, ensure that those around you are fed, are clothed, are housed. And even in this parable, God asks the rhetorical question, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The rhetorical question demands an answer, and and the answer is not the rich man who says, this is all for me. The implication is it's going to go to a whole bunch of other people who need it. You know, we can't take responsibility for the entire world. Those statistics... I was talking about earlier, we can't take responsibility for them. The only thing that we have responsibility for are for our world, our little corner of the globe. Our relationships, our church family, our friends, our neighbors. That is where our responsibility lies. We can be generous to those people. We can ensure that those people are fed, clothed, and housed. We can share the abundance that we have in terms of wealth, in terms of possessions, with them. We can be hospitable. We can be generous. But if we aren't those things, if we store things up for ourselves, always wanting more, we're going to end up just like this rich man in the parable, with God demanding our life. He says this is how it will be. With whoever stores things up for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And there is the antidote. The antidote to this sin is being rich towards God. Now, what is that? I think it's made of two things the first is contentment, and the second is generosity. And they're tied together because of the gospel contentment and generosity are tied together because of the gospel as Jesus followers as people who are dedicated to following Jesus as Lord because he is our Savior we live according to God's generosity with us and we're told in texts like 2nd Corinthians that we know the grace of our Lord Christ Jesus that he was though he was rich Yet for the sake of us, he became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. And you might say to yourself, well, I'm not rich. So what is this text talking about? But, no, 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 you are. Stop looking at the ground. Stop looking at the ground that greed wants you to look at, and start looking towards heaven. Because in heaven, you are rich, because you have been given an inheritance, as Jesus's was well, as 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 God's son and God's daughter, you have been given an inheritance. Thanks to thanks to Jesus's death on the cross and offer of grace and forgiveness from that. This inheritance isn't going to burn. It's not going to de- decay. It's not going to perish like that. James passage was talking about the wealth of this earth. Its riches are far richer than anything we can accumulate here and now. And we can accumulate those riches because of the grace of God, because of the grace of our Lord Jesus, who gave up his riches so that we can have the riches that he has in heaven. We can share in in, in, in the riches of his life. And so for here and now, we can recognize what God has given us, which is new life in Christ, a new identity, freedom from sin, freedom from these deadly sins, where if we're greedy, we can receive God's grace anew, and it will break the the shackles that bind us of our greed, and will replace that greed with contentment with the acknowledgement that everything that we have has been given to us by God, and because of that, everything that we have is God's. Everything of ours is His, which means that we can be content with what we have because everything is a gift. Everything is a gift. And if everything is a gift, we don't have to focus on the accumulation of stuff because we're just going to continue to receive the gifts of grace that, that the Lord gives. And because... All that we are and all that we have belongs to God. We can know that our future and our future treasures are secure. And so we can live generously. We can take the gifts that the Lord has given it and, and re gift it to others, making the antidote to greed, the receiving of grace and responding to that grace with generosity. And so if this is something that you struggle with, 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 with the accumulation of wealth or stuff, we're trying to accumulate a feeling. This is good news for us. We don't have to do that accumulating at all because the Lord freely offers us the treasures of his life, the treasures of heaven, and the promise of eternal life with him. A promise that that if we really grasp hold of,'ll we'll calm the desires of our heart and transform them to from being excessively wanting more and more to being directed towards seeing God's kingdom built in the here and the now, seeing more and more people enter into relationship with God and being transformed by his grace and seeing their lives transformed as as these deadly sins that that bind people um, are are broken the binds the binds get broken and so church let's pray this morning for our hearts that the Lord would help us with our greed that the Lord would give us grace to Recognize all the gifts that he has given us, that it might make us content, and give us the courage to be generous. And the thing with with contentment and generosity is that the more you do those things, the easier they become. The more it tends to be, the more generous you are, the more generous you become. The more content you are, the more content you tend to become. And so if that's something that you struggle with, especially generosity, the best way to get better at generosity is to force yourself to be generous. And I promise you, you will, you will not regret it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your your gospel breaks the breaks the chains of sin and gives us freedom from these deadly sins and particularly today, greed. And Father, we recognize that our world loves greed. It loves stuff. It loves wealth. It loves the feeling of security that, that stuff brings us. But we also know, Father, that that's not the meaning of our lives. That's not our purpose to just get, accumulate more and more and more. Instead, Father, we, we understand our purpose to glorify you and to extend your kingdom to the ends of the earth. And So, Father, if we struggle with greed, I ask that you would um, help us in that struggle. That you would break the, the chains of greed on our hearts. That you would fill the hole that greed grows in our hearts with your grace this morning. And Father, as you do that, help us to realize that all that we have, we have because you've given it. And therefore, help us to be content with what we have, as well as generous. Help us to realize your generosity to us, so that we can respond to to, to your generous grace with generosity amongst amongst others in our life. Give us the courage, Father, to name this sin especially in our life so that we can receive the antidote of your grace this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.